Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's that time again, another Driven Chat podcast falling into your ears, hopefully with a coffee. Hello, how are you doing? I'm Andy J. I hope you're having a good week. I am very pleased to tell you we have a big automotive chat on the way and we have the two core members of the team in the driving seat 
guiding you easily through like a hot knife through butter. The marvellous Miss Amy Shaw is in the building. How are you doing, Amy? Hello, that was a lovely introduction. It made me all feel very soft and lovely and still, you know, it's cold and wintry and that was quite a nice introduction to go with it. So thank you very much, <laughs> Andy J. And I want some, like, tea and toast. Quite a nice introduction. We'll go with that. So you're the hot knife, and uh, John, that makes you the butter. There you go. John Marcos in the house. How are you doing, John? I'm well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Butter's good. I like butter. Who doesn't like butter? Vegans don't like Ooh. butter, but uh, you know, everyone else likes butter. <laughs> I love the way you've just gone straight into negative. Last week you had a nice kind of aggressive ranty moment. And you, now you're now you're having a go at vegans. No, I'm not. No, 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 absolutely not. I, 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 I think vegans are very noble, brilliant people. All of you. Love it. Well, look, we've got a few things to discuss before we get into our headline guest, who I want you to tell me all about in a moment, by the way. But in the last couple of weeks, a couple of interesting things have been on my radar for what you guys have been up to. The first one, and this I have a question for you that comes off the back of it, is Amy almost bought what I can only describe as the worst Lancia I have ever seen. <laughs> yes. So, well, this basically came around because... I happened to be on a job and the person that was there said, oh, by the way, I've got a, uh, I've got a Lancia for sale. And I was like, oh, well, I wasn't really thinking about buying Lancia, but I'll have a look. And then <laughs> I saw what, as you've described, probably the worst Lancia you could possibly buy on his driveway, you know, still a little bit mouldy around the edges. And I thought, you know what, for less than a thousand pounds to be able to say that I drive a Lancia, <laughs> I thought this is one of those where you rock up, you're like, it's it is laughable if you were to shop. I, I don't even I can't even pronounce what, what the model what the model is. I'm just gonna Google Marcus, it because I can't remember. I it can't begins re with a Y and then there's a load of letters after that which don't follow on. There's no vowels in the right places or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> it should be the Lancia. Is it the Ypsilon? Ypsilon. <laughs> That's the one, yes. So I saw this and then um yeah, I ended up putting it on my, my social media with a poll and I was like Am I a fool to uh, to want to buy this, or is this a complete sane idea? Yes. And I got voted out. They were like, "What are you on? This is this is not something. This is something that should be buried and never seen again." So. Um, yeah. How did you react when you? Because obviously you've been told, <laughs> "Hey, listen, there's a there's a Lancia for sale. Let's let's call it nine hundred quid. Come and see the Lancia for sale." So you're going, you're kind of walking around the back. You're going to see this car. Mm -hmm. You might be up about to become a Lancia owner. So they take you around the back. You don't really know them, so you're kind of all being friendly and polite and socially distanced or whatever. And round you go to see it. And then you get round the corner. Your eyes land on the hideous <laughs> beast of burden. What did you do? Did you smile? Oh, it's like, oh, you, oh. you know, if, if your friend has just had a baby and they're like, hey, do you want to see my <laughs> new baby? And then you're like, oh, oh, that's, be yep, lovely. A lovely looking thing and um you just don't really know how thing. to say that say thing <laughs> there is a there's a song on the internet called man that's an ugly baby, <laughs> damn, that's an ugly baby. maybe we should it's a very good song we should do a cover and say man that's a an, an ugly, ugly lance. Lance. Yeah. well i i got completely suckered into it because you what you you'd done it over two frames of your story <laughs> yes. on instagram saying i think i'm about to buy a lancia and i was like yep. well, hey because any true petrol head, as soon as somebody talks about Lancia, you envision the Delta Integrale or the rally cars from yesteryear, 1960s and 70s. And then the next story was the, you 
Pidley's Sussion, or whatever it's called. Yep. And I, I, I can't remember what my reply to you was. was just like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, stop it. Stop it now. But who you did have a rather big name who replied to your story. Yes, you did. Giving, a, giving did. their opinion on, on how much of a bad idea it was. And what was funny is that I couldn't reply to that person straight away because I didn't want to look like I was fangirling too badly. So <laughs> basically, I, I put up that first story, which I said, thinking about buying a Lancia. And he replied, do. And I thought, cool, I'm on, I'm on a roll here. This is going well. And then, obviously, he saw the second frame of what the Lancia was and was like, not that one, though. So thanks to Mr. Jeremy Clarkson, king of the car world, um, I am now not buying the Lancia. If he had said yes, if, if everybody on the internet had said, do not buy that, but he said yes, I would have bought that. Wow. <laughs> wow. I know, maybe that's just a bit too much of a fangirl, but <laughs> I, uh... I would I would say perhaps, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, again, I don't really know how to compare it. It's, um, I, I don't know if it's like saying, you know, I'm going to go off and buy a Porsche and then you come back with a, I think you know what all Porsches are There's no, the problem, with the, the problem is that Lancia went from being a very cool car manufacturer that made really genuinely brilliant, cool stuff. And then somehow merged into this like uh, uh, uh. like you can go out and buy you can go out and buy a Lancia a new Lancia Delta but it is the worst ugliest most disgusting car you've ever seen whereas if you think of Lancia Delta from the 80s and 90s it's like yeah icon cool boxy amazing rally car yeah it's all gone, the sort it's of, all gone wrong the sort of let down equivalent is a bit like saying you own an Aston Martin and then rocking up in that mini thing they did was it the signet the signet yeah which was a toyota um iq yeah it was a toyota iq with a slightly different kit but that was that was a bit different because they needed to make that i think there was some sort of tax thing mm. oh no 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 i get yeah. i get why they made it yeah John. i'm just talking about it, the person that owns it <laughs> saying, yeah, oh, i just yeah. bought myself an aston martin yeah and then they show up in that you'd be like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I'm, t I'm desperately trying to think of some non-motoring comparison of a brand that was once really noble and brilliant and then suddenly became rubbish. Well, maybe we should give this to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, but com tell us give us a comments. comment because there will be a brand. I would have said... I would have said Weetabix when they put baked beans <gasps> on, but that did so well for them. That was yeah. a, a masterstroke of PR. It, it was, was genius. It was, and I I was annoyed almost at the amount of people that didn't immediately understand what was happening there. I was like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, come on. It's so obvious what's happening here. But yeah, no, that was brilliant. Hats off to whoever was in the, the PR or social media team that day that said, I've got an idea, because <laughs> that is stonking brilliant. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it's time to leave the cave. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the other thing that you've done in the last couple of weeks, Amy, involving cars. So you, you didn't buy a Yucky Lancia, but you did spend a fair amount of time in a rather lovely Bentley. That I did. I had delivered to my door a beautiful Bentley Continental GT. And it was in, the colour was extreme silver, which basically, when it's grey and cloudy, so in the entirety of the time I, I had the car, um, it looks like this kind of slightly bluish silver. But then in the sunlight, it practically shines gold. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah, no, I did a very little road trip um, because thankfully it's work and they needed images. And they, my, my brief was something urban. I think we discussed this when um, we were talking about Magnus Walker as mm, well. That's and, right, um, we did. So I decided on the location of Manchester because I'd shot there before. I had a load of lo locations that I could use already and I could detour via the Peak District on the way back. So doing like an open top 
tour bus around Manchester, but you're in a Bentley Continental GT with your back massaging and your mm. seats and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think I preferred that tour more than the, uh, the open-top bus tour. Um, but no, wonderful, an incredible machine. And the joy that it brings to your face when you sit in the driver's seat and you start the, the engine with that little button next to you and it goes, rah, 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 rah. it's just, it's just so, makes you so <laughs> happy. And I think it's something that will, in the end, be something of the past, which we, you know, when we think about electric vehicles and the noises that we'll have, we'll have these lovely new whooshy noises, but we'll miss that little gurgle that you do get. There is something about an engine sparking to life, because it is like it's come to life, isn't it? You press mm -hmm. a button or you turn a key and suddenly it just goes, and this event happens, a sequence of explosions <laughs> are happening. And it's like, there's a thing, this is an actual thing with a, yeah, people say that cars have personality and character and things, and it's the engine that often brings that. So yeah, you're right. I think it's it's gonna take a while for a lot of people to get, come to terms with, let me just click this button. It's on now. It's, mm. you know, it's not quite the same, is it? It's not quite the same. Now, guys, tell me about this week's guest, because it's another chat beautifully crafted by the pair of you. His name is Robert Nightingale. Give me a bit more than that. Yeah, I'll let Amy take lead on this, because this is Amy's friend. I didn't know much about Robert beforehand. But Amy had introduced me to his website a couple of days previously, and I started imagining buying everything on the site. <laughs> so Robert is probably one of the most um, I, uh, wonderful people that I can call a friend. And also one of the most adventurous. His advice to me when I said I was going to India for the first time was just eat everything, be really sick for a week, and then you're fine. Like he, oh, wow. he just, and I just think he's fantastic. And basically Robert and his cousin Johnny started this company called Mali London and they create motorcycle apparel and it started off by making motorcycle luggage because they went on a tour themselves. Um, I think it was across America and they, they basically didn't have something that was beautiful and well-made and they thought, well, why don't we make this ourselves? We're, we're designers. Why don't we create exactly what we're looking for? And so sparked Mali London. And now, other than doing their own bags and clothing and motorcycle things, and even if you're not a motorcycle rider, there is so much on the website that um, that, you, that you can just enjoy and, and you know wear with pride and happiness. Um, they also host events through the year, which is everything about motorcycle love that I think John, you and I at least adore, and about mm. the, the motorcycle crowd. So um, they have something called the Malay Mile, which is like a little bike dirt bike festival and a lot of fun over a weekend they've got the the great Malay rally which is where you go from the most southern point of the uk in cornwall to the most northern point of scotland over the space of about a week and you've got to do that on something a bit not silly but you wouldn't go on a big touring motorcycle with that's comfortable and easy to get there it's got to be on something classic or something custom and so you've got to just be a little bit more adventurous. And then the, the newest event is the, the Mali Beach Race, which is a, I don't know how long it is, about half mile, mile um, drag race on, on sand, on motorcycles. And so we had Robert along to chat to him about everything adventurous and basically just trying to find joy in doing things a little bit different, I think. Mm. I think this guy's going to be really interesting. You know, anyone that can go from making fancy saddlebags to turning it into a beach festival with a race thrown in the middle of it. It has got, 
you know, my attention for sure. And Fantastic. He managed to do all three of his events last year over COVID as well. So I don't know how he manages to pull these things off, but he's a magical man. And yeah, it's it's still one of the the, the best events, motorcycle events I think I've ever been to. Well, let's hear from the magician himself then, shall we, John? Let's do it. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hello, Robert. Very, very lovely to have you on our Driven Chat Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, Amy, great. Pleasure to um, see you digitally. <laughs> exactly. No, it's strange, this whole world of, of lockdown. I've been able to see you at least a couple of times over the last year of lockdown, which is a massive surprise and a great thing. I mean, I think you were one of the few people in the world that managed to host an event last year. Um, but we'll get on to that in a minute. First of all, I want to say hello, John, as well. You are part of uh, this lovely phone call here. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, no, <laughs> great to great to meet you, Robert. I um, Likewise, John. I can say um, I, I don't know much about you. So, you know, I'm really excited to have this conversation and Perfect. learn a bit more. Amy introduced me to your website yesterday, which has resulted in an... <laughs> catastrophic amount of imagi buying um, there's an awful awful lot of things that i already want to buy from your website which is both great and a nightmare for my bank balance <laughs> um but yeah no it's uh, it's great to have you on it looks like a fantastic thing that you're doing and um why don't you give us an overview of of, of who you are what you do yeah the thing is i think it's um you know when we start as with many companies you start out with one idea and especially with a startup and a sort of an entrepreneurial endeavor, you start in one direction, thinking this is how it's going to go, and then quite often you find yourself pivoting and taking sort of you know, side turns. and And I think some people look at Malay and they're not quite sure. They're like, "So you, I see you're hosting this thing, and then is it a magazine or is it?" But going back to 2012, um, so we started Malay. There's two of us, um, myself and Johnny Cazola, my cousin. So it's very much a family business. You know, Johnny and I were riding bikes since we were sort of 10 years old on the farm, taking old road bikes, pulling everything off, putting a bit of electrical tape down the, the tank and putting dirt tires on and racing them and creating sort of motocross tracks. And and Johnny's dad was, you know, the reason Johnny's here is because of an old Honda CBX 450 from back in the day in France. And my dad was racing bikes with Johnny's dad. And so bikes always been in the family and then I was based in New York for, for 10 years and Johnny was based in London. We both were designers, but in very different fields. And we started working on a project together, making a, a pannier for a motorcycle. At the time, um, there was nothing suitable for the type of bikes that we were riding. Johnny had an old BSA and I had an old 69 Enfield. And we wanted something that was smart enough to take to work, but robust enough for weekend adventures. And at the time, it, you could there was... Nothing like that available on the market. So we uh, we bought an old 1970s sewing machine, a really heavy-duty industrial sewing machine, and got a load of wax canvas and leathers from Italy, and we started prototyping. And, and then we started going around sort of flea markets in London and New York, looking at things that had stead, stood the test of time, looking for old bits of luggage and old Louis Vuittons, and, and it seemed that, yeah, the really heavy-duty leather and the, big, the really heavy-duty canvases are done done well and was still you know, that object still had value 40 50 years later so those materials have been inherent in what malay has been working on since since 2012 so it started from this one pannier and then as often i think happens in the sort of design world we got a phone call from japan two days later that said we've seen this bag we want we want to 
to, to set it in the shop. And so we thought we'd made it. We're like, great. So they place an order for five. And, and then, then it sort of, yeah, it grew quite, I mean, very, very organically that we sort of took a very, very small amount of money and we made our first 50 panniers. And then we sold them to some shops around the world and sort of quite high end either motorcycle shops that we loved or boutiques. And then with that money, we made a, another 50 and then it sort of started to grow that way. And then we always guarantee all our products for life, which means no one ever buys the same thing twice. That's the problem when you when you make something that's so um, so high quality and so 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 good at what it what it does is that they do buy once and then you're like, well, that's my clientele and customer base gone because they've yeah. got it. So it must be quite if we were. If we were selling whiskey, it'd be a lot easier because <laughs> if you drink one. Um, but it's a great, a great challenge. So um, starting with luggage, and then we realised actually it was more sort of adventure accessories. It was, it was we, we, what we were passionate about is creating kits to enable people's adventures all around the world. And originally, when it started, it was more sort of weekend adventures. And then suddenly, we had customers coming to us saying they wanted to do Mongolia river crossings and they wanted to be travelling around the world. So we're always continuing sort of innovating and trying to create new products for those adventures, um, moving from luggage into wider adventure accessories, some apparel. Um, and the vast majority of everything that we do is either the materials are made in Britain or the products are made in Britain. All of our wax canvas come from our mill up in Scotland that used to make all of the sails for the tall ships back in the 17th century. So all the materials that we use as a real provenance in sort of British adventure and, and expeditions. Yeah. That's so cool, and I, I love also the way you, the the word Malay. Um, I've looked on your on your website, and so what it, it roughly means trunk or tool chest. And then it, yeah. you asked your French uh, family member what it meant to them, and they said the essence of travelling in style prepared. That's brilliant. If anybody <laughs> wants to think about travelling, and I mean that that word must sum it up perfectly to to everything that I know I want to try and do when I'm travelling and. You know, style and prepared is 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 wonderful, especially when you're going to do these great adventures. Um, so yeah, did that word just come naturally, or was it a it, long time? It, I, it, it was a lot of thinking. We'd already designed certain the first few sort of prototypes. I think there's like four prototypes that we're working on before we came up with the term. And yeah, you know, Johnny was born in France and I was born in England. We're family, but we wanted a sort of a, a French English connection. And when we the word en français mal. It's this, you know, it was that wooden box you see on cars or trains in the 19th century where you keep all the tools to keep the vehicle going. Gotcha. So when we came across this term, we're like, yeah, that's what we're making. We're making a box or something that goes on the side of the vehicle that allows someone to go further and keep them out of trouble. <laughs> and so we sort of bastardized the pronunciation from, from Mal to, to Malay. Um, and it's, yeah, we, that's what we've been doing ever since, is making that object that, you, that keeps people out of trouble as they, as they travel. Um, whether that goes into more is it, so jackets and outerwear or or, yeah, or or luggage. So now this is the thing, um, because of all these different things that, that you do make, and I, I've now known you for, for quite a few years, my practically my entire wardrobe and t-shirt drawer is now Mali related. <laughs> like I realised quite quickly that I thought, oh, you know what, I went out today, I'm in your overalls and then I have your face mask because you made face masks from last year and my, my bag is this it's this rucksack which also I can turn into like a side handbag because that's perfect for me when I've got shoots and stuff and um, yeah so I am like full on my ambassador um, which I love in, in the summer my, my motorcycle jacket is is my jacket and um, I think the, the point for me where I truly 
fell in love with your brand would have been on the very first Great Mali Rally that I got to go on. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about this amazing rally, if anybody's not heard yeah. about this already? Yeah, the, the, the rally is very much, as with a lot of the things that have, have worked, it's, it came out of a passion project. Um, I, I just come back from, you know, Johnny and myself, our, our whole year is dedicated to everybody else's sort of adventures. And so our entire summer is dedicated to sort of hosting these races and rallies and and the rest of our year is spent in the workshop making stuff. But every year we try and we always take like two or three weeks out, close the workshop and we go away. And, and that year, my wife and I were trying to get across the entirety of Mongolia, up from the up in Lake Kovskul, from the northern tip down to the Gobi Desert. And we came across a lot of horse races part of the, the Nandams, these um, sort of Mongolian micro festivals around the country. Mm. And some of them are brutal. Some of them could be, you know, hundreds of kilometers long. And there'll be just sort of flags dotted across the landscape with these horse races. And, you know, when you're trying to drive 4,000 miles across Mongolia, getting horribly lost, there's a lot of time <laughs> to think. And I was planning this idea in my head. And when I go back to the studio, I said, Johnny, what about hosting the longest motorcycle race or rally in, in the country? And and you know we were inspired by things like the Milamilia and um, but the idea about an inappropriate motorcycle race where it really it was the, the more sort of inappropriate and, and weird and wonderful the motorcycle the better um, and so we came up with this concept of yeah hosting just really the longest motorcycle rally in the country which is from the southern tip of England to the northern tip of Scotland six stages but it, it sort of meanders through all of the most beautiful landscapes in the entirety of the country sort of starting down in Cornwall and then through Exmoor, Dartmoor then across the sort of the Cheddar Gorge and up then through Snowdonia and across the whole of um, the Yorkshire Dales the Lake District and all the way up into the west coast of Scotland up to the very beautiful Castle of May at the northern tip and the first year was a baptism of fire as well as many <laughs> projects that you start and and every year we kind of we've learned more and more about sort of how to host a wild adventure and to take people on to places that adventures quite often you, especially with motorcycles you look to warm climates and rightly so like it makes sense you go to india you go to morocco and but when that first year it was it was torrential weather um but in the second year not a drop of rain hit my visor from you know 1500 miles so wow. it really depends but that makes part of the adventure um i was going to say yeah like even if it's not um hot and sunny or like india having that torrential rain where you're trying to dry your gloves on your your engine as you stop for a for a coffee while it's still warm like i, I think that exact that year um where you said you didn't get rained on at all I did get rained on quite a lot when we got when we got near near to the the end of our our journey. I got quite damp, but by that point, I think in Wales I remember getting yes. very wet because I was yeah I remember joining. I think that was on year two or three when we joined the BMW team. That's the one. Yep. And we got yeah that was torrential, um, and I, I think I was on the old Triumph Thunderbird. You were yes. I have, a, I have a photograph of you as I was hanging out of a, a convertible classic Mini and um, yeah as we were going through Wales and photographing you and the BMW team behind you and um, yeah it just started to rain as as I got uh, as we got out of out of Wales and um, yeah I know I hadn't ridden much on that, on that journey because I was, I was ma mainly photographing it so the mm. point where I got to ride more coming to the last day or two of the uh, of the journey was when it really started to rain and that's when I was very grateful that I was on a brand new BMW rather than my 1972 <laughs> Honda, which hadn't got any of the heated grips and loveliness that the BMW had. Um, 
But even with that knowledge, I came back for the following year and did the mm. the rally with you for um, on my my 72 Honda, which I very nearly yeah. completed, but didn't for for some for some reasons. <laughs> so, um, I've got some. We got I've got a, one of my favorite photographs up on the wall here that you shot it on that. There was one road that actually wasn't part of the rally, but I think remember we, we, we got, got to the lost. top of a pass and then we tucked down oh, that was it. Yes. to one valley and it just turned out it just all opened out. It was really spectacular. Um, yeah, everything that could have fallen off that bike did. I lost the tank <laughs> badge within the first five minutes. I had to start it with a teaspoon by by stage three of the rally because the key had rattled out. And... <laughs> he touched it with a teaspoon. <laughs> yeah, because all the old Triumphs used to have the same key from the 50s and 60s okay. so if you've got that key you can start any of them but it's the same little flat piece of metal that you can use a teaspoon <laughs> so tell um, me tell me a little bit more about this rally then because it sounds like initially when you first started talking about it I, I in my head i had visions of it all being bikes of a certain age but then amy you've mentioned brand new bmws mm -hmm. as well is this is it a competitive thing is it just for fun is it a charity event what's the what's the premise behind it how does it how does it work um yeah I, if i can step back to it really started with the Mallee Mile. Okay. Um, so this is your your, so, your longest running event. Yeah. So and that happened. I mean, we had a, an idea, a sort of conceptual idea about the beginning, but really it was because we were spending so much time in the workshop making stuff. We'd started Mallee because we wanted to spend more time with motorcycles, more time experimenting and on adventures. And for the first two years of you know when you start a startup, you're working twenty four hours a day seven days a week, and that's all you think about, it's all you live and breathe, and it's really tough, and you make almost no money, if money at all. <laughs> and so we, that was it. I think we, we started an expedition, and when we came back from that, we had this idea about hosting a motorcycle race that nobody could win. And it was the <laughs> idea about hosting a motorcycle race that was purely about the fun of motorcycles. Because motorcycles can be very intimidating. They can be either very expensive if you're going to Grand Prix. Mm. They're very intimidating if you, you know, trying to get onto a motocross track with 200 other machines. It's it's quite daunting mm. for for a newbie. And so we wanted just to bring it back to like when we were kids. What was the most fun thing? It was just taking a bike that probably doesn't really work that well, trying to get it across the start line, um, and. Yeah, I'm trying to create this, this idea of a non-competitive, which is a bit of an oxymoron because it does get very competitive <laughs> towards the end. But the idea of the first year was this motorcycle race that nobody could win. But it's purely about the fun of it, getting people together and, and really a celebration of the motorcycle culture. And the first year we had 37 bikes turn up on the lawn of a 17th century manor house in South London. And it was really fun. Like it, no one took it too seriously. And, you know, I think by this, the afternoon, remember one race where we had, there was a a little Honda Cub, like a, no, yeah, a little C90 racing a Vincent Black Shadow. Wow. One's worth 50 quid, one's worth quite a bit more than that, <laughs> yeah. a thousand times. But at that moment, no one cares. And they've got grins from ear to ear and they're loving it. And we're like, this is really, really fun. And so the next year, we had 100 riders joined us for the Mallee Mile. And then and the next year, then we put up a, a little band tent and a beer tent. And then we started inviting you know anybody we could from from brand partners, like, Rod Enfield and Day Six Machina and and then the bike shed team and then by year three it kind of people are just they've told a few friends and then I think year three we had about five hundred riders and then the next year we had about a thousand riders um, and so it's kind of increased quite dramatically. Wow! Um, we put on yeah different. It's, it's always the the original mile sprint race. Um, there's a, a hill climb 
this thing called the Malley 100, which is 100 motorcycles in one race. This year we've got um, uh, a one-mile sprint race for, for drag bikes. For them. This year there's also a thing called the Malley Scramble, which is a 10-kilometer off-road route through oh, the forest. Wow. Um, and then a, a, like a speed trial is called the Dash, which is... But it really is about the fun of it. And there's, Absolutely. you know, there's art shows. So it's called the Art of Machines. So we invite artists and photographers and makers and and sculptors who are loosely connected to the world of adventure and motorcycles and automotive to show work. In amongst that, you've got beautiful machines and sort of Dakar vehicles and Unimogs. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of taken on, taken on really a, a life of its own. Fantastic. But we're very proud to host that, that wild, inappropriate motorcycle party every year. <laughs> um, and this year, we're, we're just taking over a, a a new castle actually in the center of the country, which is a 6,000 acre deer park to host a really quite, quite spectacular race. Wow. I'm so excited. Um, this is so all in my calendar. So because yeah, Amy was there, she shot it last year. So, so yeah. official photographer. I was going to say. And she was covered head to toe in dust. <laughs> I'm surprised you got that, that race suit back to being a sort of this blackish. This race suit that I'm currently <laughs> wearing, yes, I was absolutely covered. Like my eyeballs, I think, had dust in them for like a week um but i was so impressed that you managed to in 2020 pull that festival off because it, you didn't call it a festival it was a technically a race it's, i think yeah it's, it's always been a race um and this last year and we said to the community and we, we do it it's very much we host the mile for the community because mm-hmm. we love it and we see the smiles and the joy and the, and the community it creates and we said we would do everything we possibly can to bring them the mile in 2020 and Everyone said no originally. But then we spoke to the council and I said, okay, well, what can we do? And you know, the council and the government, they want people to, businesses to thrive and mm. things to happen. Uh, so we went back, we're designers, so we went back to the drawing board and said, okay, how could we design a motorcycle race where it's all socially distanced, one-way queuing systems? And we went back to the, the council with this proposal and they said, yeah, that would, that would work. Um, Amazing. I mean, that is a feat as, as somebody from my, my trade is, is events, automotive events. And for me, I, I remember almost joking, but being a bit sad about attending a few events at the beginning of 2020. Um, one of them being the Duke of London's Classic and Cakes meet, which I think was towards the end of January, uh, maybe not even the end of January, but uh, around that sort of time. And we all kind of said to each other, do could this be the last motoring event of 2020? We, we genuinely were thinking of, along those lines. Like it was getting to the point where things were starting to be shut down and things were starting to get pulled. Um, so yeah, to, to actually have pulled that off in what is arguably the most difficult year to run anything, you know, to run a business, let alone an event where people are turning up from all over the country is, is fantastic. And yeah, I think yeah, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. It will- there's always a bit of an element of daring and foolishness oh, <laughs> that allow things to happen. Yeah. But that's the thing, is, um, is the definition of adventure, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and at, at the beginning of the year, we thought, we, we, yeah, we were very, as everyone was, we, it was an unprecedented situation. Mm. And we thought, shit, like, what, you know, people can't travel, they can't go, go away, and we make adventure stuff. But we realised, actually, you know, when there weren't restrictions, motorcycling can happen. It was the yeah. one thing that you really could do. You could travel places on a bike because you're solo, you're covered in PPE. Mm. <laughs> um, you can make a loop back, you know, back to the house. So motorcycling was good. And yeah. and last year was an adventure. Like things did not go to plan. Things were across our whole world. And so, you know, we started making more PPE and, and masks and um, sanitization stations and things like that. So we started 
the beginning of the year, really getting into the R&D of new kit to support people and help people travel safely and, and well. Thinking that we'd never get any of the events across across <laughs> the line. And then amazingly, we managed to get the Malay Mile and not only that. Cross, and it happened. And then the rally was two weeks later. And then there was the beach race three weeks after that. We call it the Mali Grand Slam because we managed to <laughs> slam three events into six weeks, which was pretty crazy. Um, so, to back, so back to your question. So you said so that so it started, the rally started from the Mali Mile. So the Mali Mile started with this crazy motorcycle race that no one was supposed to win. Uh, it's purely about the fun of motorcycling and the more wild and inappropriate, the better. People building machines out of BMXs, people building machine uh, race bikes out of old two-man chainsaws. But in amongst that, you've got glorious, you know, last year we had Neil Hawke on a Dakar bike. And I'm looking at Johnny like, that's a guy who's actually raised the Dakar going up our hill climb, followed by a guy with a sort of a chainsaw BMX. And that was just, it's just wonderful to see. And so... So that gave rise to this, this rally idea. So it's, it's like, where can we go next with the mile? And so taking it out of this so eighth of a mile race into a long distance rally. So the idea of taking, and really is a state of mind. When we say an inappropriate motorcycle, we've had people there with very appropriate, you know, bikes, you know, rally, rally Enfields and GSs, but it's a more of a state of mind. If you're happy to, to help your teammates fix their bikes. You, you could have someone in your team who's got a, a beautiful old 1960s BSA with a peanut tank, which can do about 30 miles uh, <laughs> on a tank. And you may be on a more suitable machine, but then you've got to work together as a rally team. And, and our core objective with that adventure is to get everybody across that finish line 1,500 miles later, where we have to beg, borrow, steal components. And we've had to rebuild engines en route. Wow. Callum from, you know, it's a dear friend of Amy as well. Callum from uh, Devolux Engineering. He's been our lead mechanic for the last uh, four years now, and he can fix anything. So we've got a great team of marshals and engineers and chefs and um, to help really just get everyone across that finish line with as much fun and, and as much of an adventure as possible. Great. Um, so that's how the, the rally started, and, and that's how it's, it's been going. And we're also very proud to, to show people the, the most beautiful and wildest places in the country. And it's a great that's one of the really fun parts of our job is that we get to go and research every try because every year we change the route great not drastically we know that there's certain bits you just have to hit west coast of scotland snowdonia mm -hmm. lake district yorkshire dales um but we do change the route every year so we get to go out and research and try and find really obscure and weird places um and we partner with lots of you know sort of interesting places to stay whether it's forests or castles and um and we're very proud to show international riders of course 2020 was tough mm. um nearly the entire rally was British riders but normally you've got riders coming in from Brazil and Mexico America wow. Japan Italy and and I, I, yeah we love showing them the best of the best of Britain and, and playing host to it I think one of my favorite uh, things about the tour is that every evening once everybody has finally got to the the, the destination and put their their tent up or or you know moved into their their teepees that you you put up um, is the whiskey tasting as well that you <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which I never <laughs> ever liked whiskey until I, I did my first Mali Rally with you guys. And then I was like, oh, what is this? And then I was like, okay, that's that's okay, I guess. And then now I'm like, oh, a little whiskey, shall we? And so yeah. thank you very much no, for that. Absolutely. When the kickstands are down, it's, it's like always, you have to have a little, I always remind riders that it's good to, you know, there should be a bit of a party each evening, but the trick is to party early, be in bed by 10, so you can be up at 6 a.m. to start there. Absolutely. Adventure again. <laughs> a, a motorcycle ride with a hangover is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but it's also the reason that we keep 
to, you know, because originally we set out to do it once. We didn't know that it would become an annual thing. Mm. But now riders, you know, either, either keep coming back or bringing friends and family and father and son teams and husbands and wives. But also, I've personally met a huge amount of great friends from that adventure. It's something about putting a load of people into a sort of an adventure, which is a bit of hard, you know, it's tough to complete together. Mm. Um, and so the, the community that's created from that rally, and I've seen lots about Instagram groups of, you know, bikers who've now formed little gangs because we put them in a team purely based on their color, the bikes were the same color. <laughs> and now they've become really good mates and they travel around Europe together. And that's, that's really great to see. You're definitely the, the former of friendships. I, I have to say that I've stayed friends with both the, the German team that I was with in my first year and then the, the guys I was with, with um, the last time I was, I was on the rally. And it's, it is that wonderful sense of community that you do get from every Mali event. And it's almost like the, your, the, the reason it started um, from your, you know, the, the apparel, the clothing, is just this wonderful thing where everyone can look stylish doing all these things at the same time. So it's, um, yeah. that's a really great great thing about it all um but i want to also ask you a little bit more about the, some of the the things that you have to do so researching your routes and finding some of the best roads that involves getting lost i imagine or you you get a little lost and i think you know what there's a picture that you use on your website of, that, that i took because i we took the wrong route and i was like i don't think we're meant to be going up this and i was like but that's a really nice shot <laughs> and so i took <laughs> this picture and i was like we are lost i don't know where we're meant to be going but then it's since been used and you must have some great stories about, you know, researching these routes across the world even or getting lost. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, it's funny enough, that actually that became that's an early mantra of the brand was prepared to get lost. And then we just started using it on, you know, we used to emboss it in the bottom of some of our luggage as well. We put it in the, in the labels of jackets and stuff now. And that's that has become a bit of a mantra that that's our role <laughs> is, is to prepare people to go out and get lost. And and you know, and there's a project Johnny and I've been working on called the Lost Club, which is because uh, getting you know it's getting harder and harder to get lost. We've got GPS, we've got you know more and more technologies. Yeah. But actually, it's when you do get lost that's when you sort of find some of the things you never expected. And um, I think, yeah, I mean Mongolia. Is, I mean thinking about getting lost, there's one of the one of the castles that we use on the rally. Um, we weren't poaching, but we were, fly, we were fly fishing on this little this river, which technically is going out into a sea lock. So it's not, you know, it's technically salt water. And that's when I first met Felix, who owned uh, one of the castles. And he's welcomed us back every year since now with mm -hmm. the rally. And that was getting lost up in Scotland. It's one of my most favorite places in, in the UK to get lost. Um, I think the, the, the easiest place to get lost is Mongolia. Okay. Because there are no roads at all. <laughs> How do you and navigate we, in places with no roads? So we, we on a motorcycle. We had this vision of a motorcycle adventure. So we we found an old bike in Ulaanbaatar, and um, set off. And then two days later, we realised that it's going to be minus conditions up in the up in the, the tundra. And I had promised my wife an adventure holiday, so we sort of <laughs> it was a, a bit of a discussion, a U-turn back to Ulaanbaatar. We came back two days later with an old 80s Land Cruiser, and um, you know, across the, the the large steppe, these huge grasslands that spread thousands of miles in every direction, you are looking for a pinprick in the sand to try and find your route, mm. and. You just follow the route across the country going from Gurt, so the Gurt are the yurts, 
the white tents mm -hmm. and you'll see them sort of on the horizon and generally that's how you sort of connect the dots you either use the gers you either use uh, electricity pylons because generally the pylons will take you from town to town yeah they're leading somewhere or you find yeah or you find these two pinpricks in the grass and that would be the sort of <laughs> tire tracks from previous vehicles but quite often the gers will be empty because they're out uh, with the horses so you can't ask information so you have no idea where to go from there quite often the electric electricity company haven't finished their work so the pylons will go <laughs> 300 miles into one direction you get to the end and they just it just stops oh, wow. you're like okay <laughs> or quite often um different times of the year that you know the mongolians are nomadic so they there's different foods in different places so they'll be looking they could be like a certain type of mushroom that you can find in one area so the tire tracks will lead you for three or four hours and it'll just stop Right. You're like, okay, so there's a little forest with mushrooms, and we got pretty lost there. Um, do, do you ever find getting lost scary? Because that sounds to me pretty scary. But I, you're a seasoned adventurer far more than most of us. <laughs> we didn't in Mongolia. No, that was always we always had we had kit with us. We had spare spare fuel and our tent. We we're very self sufficient. We had everything we needed there. Um, there's always a, it's always a bit unnerving. Um, I think it's the, I got, the fuel got... thing is what would scare me. I, even even with a spare yeah. twenty five liters or so, if you if you had the means to take it, I, I'd always get a bit but cautious it's... and and worry about that. Did you ever come close to getting stuck? No, because because it's a nomadic population. Pretty much every girl has everything oh, right. you might need. So yeah. when you get there, they they bring every, they're so hospitable. They bring everything out. It's camel biscuits and <laughs> and kumis, the fermented horses' milk, which is. It's a, you know it's a it's a rotten fermented horse's milk, which is not the it's an acquired taste. For the <laughs> um, but they'll have spare parts. Quite often, like if there's a few girls together or a small village, they have spare parts for for, for, for the motorcycles especially and wow. and fuel. And quite often, you'll buy like a you know a five liter Evian bottle of petrol or diesel <laughs> and keeps you going. It, we were in Madagascar two or three years ago. That we'd we'd done a lot of planning. And we're trying to get um, from the southern side of Madagascar all up the the western coast to there's a, there's a one of the oldest national parks full of lemurs. And um, I remember asking, it didn't seem that far, like because Google Maps can be quite, uh, especially when you get into Africa, Google Maps can be quite misleading. <laughs> so I sort of thumbed my route down on the, on the, on the phone and like, okay, it'll take us two or three days. Um, that took us 12 days to cross oh, wow. this large Wow. because there's almost no roads and also all the locals because no one goes there um they, ha they have these sort of barricades that they build when they, they charge you like 50 cents or a dollar to kind of go through the, this barricade and it's just kids and you politely pay it but by like the 17th one you get slightly annoyed <laughs> that slows you down but in some of the river crossings it'll take you 12 to 15 hours to cross because wow. oh, wow. it's just massive river crossings and sometimes the the, the boat will be a small sort of pontoon with a sort of two steel tanks lashed together mm. with bamboo rafts, things on the top, and then it'll come to the side of the water and you drive down the, the bank at 45 degrees, the entire raft will go up to 45 degrees in the air. You think the whole thing's going to go tits up and fall into the river. And then right at the last moment, the, the, you know, the van cruiser will go onto the, the thing and then, then they put the price up and they'll say, like, it's so much going to cost. And then you sort of pop up, pop up the river and... And then there when you get off, because also at that time of the year, the rivers were smaller, still half a mile across, mm -hmm. but you had a mile of sandbank either side. 
And we got off, there was about, I don't know, five or six teenagers hanging out at the side of this bank. I'm like, they're in the middle of nowhere. I wonder why they're there. And then they were just smiling and waving, got off the, this, this raft, tried to cross the sand. And within three seconds, just four jets of sand flying up in the air. Oh, no. I'm like, that's why they're there. So they kind of swan over, like, good morning, you know, hi. And, and then you sort of pay a little bit. They just literally, they just were singing and they just pushed the vehicle a mile and a half through sand without the engine on, just pushing it. <laughs> wow. Um, that's uh, just recently watching the the Grand Tour. Their most recent film is uh, basically them going across Madagascar, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Have you watched it? No, not yet. Oh, I'd be so it's beautiful. Intrigued. I mean, I, I I love it. It's um, but when we got across that second bigger river crossing, someone we were asking about this national park we're going to, and they're like, "Yeah, people have the last person went there this route." And I asked them when the last time they went there, and they said, "Well, two months ago." So it's really an unknown part. Wow. And actually, when we came around on like the seventh day, came around the corner, and I don't know where I was talking about this, but <laughs> weirdly got surrounded by about 20 young guys with machetes, sort of <gasps> rifles, M16s. And, you know, in broken French, kind of my wife sort of ducked head down. And that was a bit nerve wracking because we were, we were not lost, but mm. we roughly knew where we were. But to be held up like that. But then we understood actually they'd been cattle rustling, they'd run out of water and they were dying. And they were, right. so we gave them all the, well not all the water, we gave them a huge amount of water that we had. Their smiles changed in seconds. They were suddenly really polite, thanking us, being really friendly. Mm. It was the most polite hijacking I've ever been, <laughs> been involved in. Because you've been involved um, in many, of course. <laughs> yeah, a couple. But they disappeared immediately and were like really friendly. Like it was weird at the time. Uh, we were lost, but it was a, yeah, that was an amazing adventure. That's incredible. I strongly recommend Madagascar, but I would maybe stick to the middle part a little bit more than the, the completely wild parts <laughs> of the, the coast. Wow, that's and incredible. And lemurs, I don't know if you've seen them, they look like just like little sort of toddlers in panda costumes. They're not that exciting. <laughs> not worth 12 days. Um, I, I'll remember that. So, I mean, listening to your stories, it even in this time when we can't travel, it makes me want to and just get out there and just do even little adventures. For people who have never really adventured before on either on foot, two wheels, four wheels, whatever, would you give these people listening any tips just to start on their either little adventures or big adventures? What what, what would you try and say to encourage Yeah, I them? think micro adventures are the way forward. I mean, at the moment it is limited to sort of the garden, the park, <laughs> but you know, we're trying, I try, we try and do our, um, you know, our, our walk every evening and stuff with the park. And we've, we're very lucky to be next to Greenwich Park. So we've now tried every possible path and route up to the Deer Park. And <laughs> But I think, yeah, micro adventures, just looking on the map, and quite often just looking at the, on Google Maps, just looking at the um, satellite view mm-hmm. and just looking for whether it's forest or interesting coastline and, and just seeing what's there and, there's a, f- a famous writer, the name escapes me now, but he wrote a book on micro-adventures. Alistair like, you? Yeah, just like, why don't you just sit on the bus and just ride it to the end and then try and get back some other way. Mm. Um, you never know what's, what's going to happen, but I think micro-adventures, you don't have to go to, to Outer Mongolia, to Madagascar, into, into, the, into the Sahara to have a, you know, a wild time. Short trips, British coast, mm. um, we have got, I mean, I know we can't, uh, it's difficult right now because we're not supposed to be going anywhere. So I can't <laughs> say just, why don't we go to Snowdonia? Because no, no, no one should be traveling and we, and we can't until restrictions are lifted this summer. 
Um, the way that I've got through it is we've been watching a huge amount of adventure documentaries, nature documentaries mm-hmm. um, for inspiration because, mm-hmm. yeah, last year, this year, it's going to be tough for, for all of us that suffer that, that desire for wanderlust and adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, on my, my calendar, it says, like, right now we're supposed to be going across the Namib Desert and... You know, that's not going to happen for quite a while. No, indeed. Um, indeed. What's, um, what have you got on the list of, are there any corners of the world that you're really keen to explore that you haven't yet seen? Um, yeah, the, the Arctic. Uh, a few friends of us, a few friends of mine and Johnny's we've been discussing over the last few weeks about trying to, once restrictions lifted, mm-hmm. try and set up an Arctic sort of expedition, adventure. Um, just all up the... the um, the Norwegian fjords up into the Arctic Serpent, the tundra, and then just try and get as far as we can up into the ice Lovely. on motorcycles. Amazing. Uh, although right now, being you know London in January, I think warmer climbs would be much nicer to head south Sahara. Um, That's the other thing. Sometimes you think about, yeah, I'm going to go on an adventure on my motorcycle in on this day and do this, and then you get there and you forget. Like I know I forget how cold you can get on a motorcycle or how hot you can get on a motorcycle. Mm. Like riding through um, India, uh, not actually a year before now, um, just if you're riding at any time later than nine o'clock in the morning, you are so hot. Like mm. I was still wearing my, my, my Mali jacket, but I had the front, because you've got your double zips, I had the top zip zipped all the way down to the middle and the bottom zip da- zipped all the way up to the middle as well. So I had as much airflow as I could possibly get. And you're just so hot. And you just think, yeah. why? Uh, it's, you're tempted to take off your jacket. And you just think, you know what? No, I'm, I still want to be careful because it's India and there are people and cows and lorries everywhere all the time. So, um, yeah, it's when you're planning some of these routes sat in the comfort of your living room sometimes it's worth just stepping outside into the january cold air i think reminding yourself <laughs> yeah. actually it's a bit cold it's just take the climate but we, see, we see these as, as um for us at Malay, we see it as, as challenges because hmm. because yeah, i was riding in india last year and, and you're right like half the locals are in flip-flops and a pair of shorts mm-hmm. but you know they're good they're going quick and i'm i'm in full leathers mm-hmm. and it's 40 degrees <laughs> Um, so we recently designed a, a piece called the Godspeed Air. So it's all perforated leather, so the air moves through the jacket. Cool. Um, but that's why I'm excited to go up to the Arctic, because I, I know that we can design some really interesting bits of kit for... Because if, if you can design for Arct- Arctic expedition, sort of weather, if you're doing... If, if you're a um, you know an Uber delivery driver in London, or anywhere in the UK in February, I think Arctic kit will, mm. will see you well on a, on a moped. Yes. Yeah, um, we've, that's, going back to 2015, when Johnny and I had started working on our first prototypes, we did exactly that. We did a 10,000 mile expedition from New York to Los Angeles via Mexico and Canada. That's we incredible. We rode for 10,000 miles for 37 days and camped every single night and just for trying to te- really trying to destroy the kit that we made and to understand what those fabrics and materials could do mm. and that's what i love also about the rally with riding with these people i can see how materials perform and it's like it's you're living in the, the space where your kit is designed for it's just the best way to understand it better and to keep refining and improving and making better equipment so that's what's drawing us to the arctic it's just we want to we want a challenge to see what we can design for for yeah, for really more extreme conditions. I was just going to say, what sort of bikes are you thinking about with a, with a trip of that uh, nature to those extremes? It, um, in my head, I'm, I'm 
immediately jump into the conclusion that you must be riding big BMW GSs or Multistrada Enduro Ducatis or something along those lines. Is that what you're going for, or are you tend, do you tend to try and stick to the older stuff? It's kind of what we've got in the garage. <laughs> uh, what do you have at the garage? Which will be some older stuff. And I mean, my favourite is my late father's old 57 Triumph Thunderbird. That's just a beautiful nice. machine. Um, but after everything fell off at the rally, it took quite a bit <laughs> to get it back to where it is now. So that, that's not going to be doing major expeditions at the moment. Um, it's what, when, when two years ago, Johnny and I built two rally bikes with Royal Enfield mm-hmm. as support machines, the support vehicles for the rally, for the engineers. And, and, and that was really great building a machine that's purpose built um, for the spec of that, of that adventure. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, something that we'd like to do. Even if it is, we took a classic bike, a contemporary bike, um, something really fit for purpose, like a you know a BMW. I think one of those Royal Enfield Rally mm. bikes would be amazing to go up for the Arctic on. Yeah. I like personally, I like to say something vintage. I've been looking around on eBay for something much more unlikely to succeed. Because <laughs> um, that's part that is part of the the fun. And quite often, when things go wrong on a bike, people seem to turn up out of nowhere who happen to have that bike or know someone who does. You know, it's, when we're riding across America, it seems that 60% of America, their uncles had a 1970 Bonneville. Every petrol station you stop at, they go, oh, wow. I have one of those, or my uncle had one of those. Um, so, I th- yeah, we'll see. I, I think there'll definitely be a, a Royal Enfield, there'll definitely be a BMW, possibly a Triumph in the mix. Um, but I, I personally, I always quite like the, the classic, classic machines as well. Great. That's what I say about classic cars as well, is that if you are going to do some of these adventures, if you are in something that you know is going to get there or it's very comfortable and lovely, it doesn't always feel like an adventure. So it's the same with motorcycles and yeah, like doing these trips, whether they are short or long or whatever, on something classic does add to the experience of feeling like you've actually got somewhere and traveled that distance and really felt every single mile beneath you, I think. Absolutely. You're far more likely to build a relationship with a classic car or bike than you are with a modern one, aren't you? And and it's for for that reason, because yeah, you get to the end of the challenge and the car ultimately, or the bike has has done what it's designed to do. But yeah, on something that it's picking that bike that everyone else in your group goes, Really? Are you sure? Are you are you mad? Um, no, that is you're, you're so right. That is it makes it so much more special when you are able to kind of defy your own prediction of oh bloody hell it actually made it mm-hmm. <laughs> it uh, did the uh, job. Yeah, I think that's also what's wonderful about the the Great Mali Rally is that you have this group of people that you because you you have to you ask for your the the bike that people want to go on um, in your sign up form as well. I think it is. Yeah, and just to make sure that you haven't got people showing up in groups of five or whatever on big tours and it will be an mm. easy ride for them. Everybody goes through that seven eight day struggle together, and you get to the end of of the day and you're all like. Oh, how are you feeling? You're like, oh, I'm a bit sore or a bit cold or this is broken. or And as you said, it's that community of suffering, I think, on these, some of these trips yeah. as well, um, which, no, I think is, is absolutely amazing. But, um, I mean, with that in mind, do you think the rise of electric motorcycles um, will end up having an effect on adventuring on motorcycles or if negatively or positively? I think it's definitely uh, positive 
Awesome. I mean, I was speaking to a company yesterday about trying to convert our rally Land Rover to electric. Oh, cool. Um, and I, but I think I don't think we can afford that because we're trying to do 250 mile range per day on a Land Rover. They said that we have to fill it with so many batteries that become very, mm. very expensive. Mm-hmm. But the Beach Rover, we think we might be able to convert to electric. That we, we took an old 1969 Land Rover, we cut all the roof off, turned it into a Beach Rover as our support vehicle for the beach race. And... It's only got to do two miles a day. Like, that's really got to do that that far. So that one, that one we might be able to convert to electric. We've been very, we've been working with Zero for two years now. Um, just you know, it just helping helping them with electric racing at the mile and, and the beach race, and and I think it's it's very exciting. We worked a bit with Arc mm-hmm. as well, and with Holly Davison on the live wire. Great, yes, um, of course. And it is yes, it's the future. I mean, I, of course, we all have soft spots for the. You know, for a petrol engine, and but um, I think we just need, like we saw with with Charlie and Ewan on the long way up. Mm. Once you've got a little bit of infrastructure that you know that you can charge it, then it, there's no there's no problem. Yeah. Um, because there are the beautiful kind of tar form in New York. It's a lovely, beautiful electric motorcycle, and they're getting. More and more, I'm not. I'm not just talking about the aesthetics of it. It's great to have that, you know, performance and faster and longer capability. But some of the first electric bikes coming out weren't pretty. No, and that's they right. They were very, very utilitarian, and quite often they were scooters that you could pull the battery out, and it was very, very functional utilitarian. But it doesn't have the soul that you know that a lot of the purists wanted in that machine, and something that I would look for. Mm. There is, yeah, there is a there's such a beauty in the, in the machine and. And I've always, as, a, as an industrial designer, I love seeing the, the difference between the motorcycle and the car. It's quite often the car hides the engine. It's well, the fairing and it's covered. And that's why I've always gone for the, I prefer unfaired bikes where you can see everything and you know it all works. And it goes back to like seeing like old sunbeams and zundaps with like opening valves. And it's just lovely to see that machine that converts that energy into movement. But it's more and more just that, yeah, we, now they're actually showing the, the engines on the electric bikes that you can see all of the batteries and see the motor and it. it's not hiding it anymore because they're, they're beautiful objects in themselves um so i i'm hoping 2021 this year we'll have the first electric rally team awesome we've been speaking to a few friends um, to see how we can facilitate that because um, the bikes pretty much can do the distance now they can do you know we average 250 miles a day which is doable okay. maybe a couple of small charges along the route yeah i mean al- um, already on some of those days you're riding for I mean, if, what, I think it's six, eight hours, depending on if you get lost, how long you stop for. So to then have to factor in charging as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder if, well, I'll be very, very interested to see how the team does with that. Yeah, and it's a different, um, but that, that creates a new part of the adventure, right? Like you were saying that you can do it on something very practical that you know is going to make it from A to B, no problems at all. But to take something very, very vintage, very something that's a little bit more unlikely to... Not, it's not 100% guaranteed that you're going to get there. Yeah. And the same, potentially one could say that on the electric side, yeah. um, that does bring, that creates a new challenge and something to be overcome. And that creates a bit more of an adventure, a bit more excitement, um, a, bit, a bit more planning to do. Does that mean that the places uh, that you're stopping or, or arranging to have us all stop for each night has charging points? Or is that something you're just like, you're going to deal with that on your own? That We're going to deal with that. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll help. 
it's, it'll be a team effort. We'll work out how we can make that, yeah, facilitate that. Awesome. Brilliant. Oh, I'm so intrigued. So uh, what have you got You're looking for the future of Mali? I know that you've got the the Great Mali Moat... Uh, Mountain rally, the Great Mali Mountain. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so we like creating tongue twisters. Yes. So um, that's something that's not been done yet. And I think was it meant to be done no, last the, year or? Yeah, it was supposed. That was, you know, we knew we were pushing things by trying to create events in the UK, but trying to host a long distance rally from Vienna to Monaco that crosses seven, uh, six countries in six days through five, no, I think it's about 10 border crossings. Because some of those days you'll go into Italy and Switzerland three times as you kind of meander through. That was pushing it too far for the year of 2020. Mm -hmm. That was not going to happen. But we've done the research route twice. We've ridden that route. And that is some of the spectacular riding in in Europe, wow. uh, across the Alps. And and there the weather conditions can change You know, in a heartbeat. One minute it can be glorious and, and lovely. The next minute you've got black rolling clouds coming down through the valley, electrical storms and torrential downpours. So we're really looking forward to that. Hopefully, hopefully 2022. We had hoped, you know, we were speaking to riders last year, hoping that we could move it from 2020 to 21. Mm. But this year, I think, unfortunately, this the adventure is it's not um, we're not out of the woods yet. No, the adventures so are going to have to be a little bit closer to home still for a while, I think. <laughs> yeah. It is brilliant that you're continuing with the UK stuff because I think if if anything else, you know, COVID-19 aside, it's uh, it's a great opportunity for a lot of people to get a, a nice little nudge, a nice little reminder that actually we're so fortunate in this country mm -hmm. to have such amazing scenery on our doorstep and seasons as well is something else I think a lot of us take for granted. Uh, until you live in a, a very hot climate or a very cold climate, which is consistently similar all year round, it becomes, it, it, you don't quite realise how lucky we are to have a springtime and an autumn and a summer and a winter. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it is, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. So I, I, I wish you all the best with those because, and I want to come on them, more, yeah. more importantly. That, well, that's what I'm just going to ask. But for people that are listening, um, if they are thinking this sounds right at my street, you know, I'm going to be in the UK now for the next year at least. Um, I want to go on any of these events, whether it's the mile, the, the rally or the beach race, which I'm hoping is coming on, staying on for this year as well. Uh, I missed last year. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, where can we where can we find you? Where can they sign up? Can we sign up yet for these things? Like, give us some information about that. Yeah, we can. I mean, on, onto our website, maladondon.com. Um, there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of articles about adventures and inspiration as well for for homegrown adventures and international. But there we, we've got, I think rider registration is open for the rally so far. And then next month in February, rider registration will open for the mile mm -hmm. and then for the beach race after that. Um, yeah, we, we just we just hope, I, it seems things are going in the right direction, mm. sort of from the government side and with restrictions. And and we just, for, for us, you know, yeah, for all of us, it's, it wouldn't be our summer without hosting the mile and seeing all those people that we only really get to see once a year mm -hmm. come from all around the country to one place and, yeah. uh, and to see that community. So we're really hoping it can go ahead. The same with the, with the, the rally. Um, yeah, it's just, it really is just, we have to, we have to be a bit brave and we have to start planning and we just have to hope for, for the best. Yeah. Yeah. We, we shall see how it, it, see how it all pans out. Yeah. And if, uh, uh, let's assume that everything's going to go ahead as, as planned and as we hope it will. Um, is there a criteria? Is there something people need to be aware of with any of these events? Is there a right type of bike or a wrong type of bike? I mean, many people, for the Malay Mile, for example, in the beach race, people don't even come with a bike. They come just for the, the party, oh, great. for the fun. 
I mean, we had art shows and motor cinemas and, and music and DJs and bands and great cocktail bars. And I mean, I think, I think a lot of a lot of the girls in London have realised that it's probably better than Tinder, where you've got a five hundred men in there coming around a field. <laughs> but so yeah, so you can bring a bike if you like, but or you bring your dancing shoes. Um, but yeah, for the Mali Mile, anything with two wheels or three wheels, we've got a lot of sidecars. Mm-hmm. I think we we might have convinced Morgan to bring one of their three wheel machines onto the track oh, this year as well, which is technically a sort of borders on the motorcycle side. Yeah. Um, well, I think the laws are actually changing where you have to have a motorcycle license to drive a three wheeler um, car. So, so like the model three wheelers um, right. from very, very soon, either this year oh, or next right. year or something like that. So, um, yeah. I know in America it's classed as a, that, the three wheeler mm-hmm. is classed as a, I think, I'm sure in America it's classed as a motorcycle. Yeah. So you need a motorcycle license right. to, to ride it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, t- t- so ideally two wheels of any ilk or size or Correct. shape for the Malay Mar and for the beat race, the more inappropriate, the better. The, for the rally, the only thing we request people bring a working bike to the start line. Because gotcha. <laughs> you'd be surprised. People have bought like really tricked out, beautiful customs that have done maybe one mile before they embark on the longest motorcycle rally in the country. Wow. So um, it's a common theme with yeah, motoring events like that. Is uh, I've I've experienced this in the past, putting together an event and people building cars and bikes. And they've been in the workshop up until about three o'clock in the morning that morning. The day before, yeah, course, exactly. Oh, cool. So, how yeah, have you done much of a shakedown yet? No, no, no. <laughs> right. And then, sure enough, you're half a mile down the road. There they are on the side, on fire or on, on their side. <laughs> no, we've done the same. We've been, you know, for at exhibitions, not for the rally. That we 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 put some miles in for those machines and make sure they're all ready to go because we're there to help support. But um, yeah, I'm. I think for three years I had a bike sitting on an oak tree that I was working on, an old 1957 uh, a dot, an old scrambler. Wow. Little 200 cc Vidius engine. And every year it sat on an oak tree and every year it got a little bit more complete. I always brought it to the mile, but never actually raced. Last year was the first time I actually got it working at the mile. <laughs> um, so, but we love that. And it does, you know, sometimes people will send in a picture, a, a shoebox of a bit of a you know, piston head and a crankcase and a logbook and say, well, this is my motorcycle and I'm <laughs> going to build this for that race in six months' time. But it's nice to have that, that deadline because quite often these projects, especially the passion projects, it's so easy to sort of yeah. put them on the side. And, but having an inappropriate race where, yeah, it's give, it, gives, it gives a deadline to build something, build something unique and special, I think it's been quite, yeah, it's been good for me and a lot of our community like that, that challenge. Great stuff. Uh, if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's brilliant. That's yeah. brilliant. Nice. So um, before we wrap things up, your what's the, what's the future looking like for you? Obviously, it's very difficult to predict things at the moment with this glorious pandemic that seems to be taking over everything in the world. But mm-hmm. um, how do you see your business evolving? What are your aspirations uh, in, in comparison to how things are looking right now? Where do you see yourself, say, in a year or two's time? Um. I mean, we, we cont- that was interesting last year when we when we thought all bets are off, no one's going traveling, no one, no adventures. Johnny and I started designing a lot, a lot of new pieces, which were really pushing Malay out of pure motorcycle space a little bit, um, going going away from clothing and, and luggage more into sort of physical product design, mm. things to enable adventures, um, from two wheels to four wheels to to water. Um, so we've been starting to think a little bit more about going back to micro adventures, that what, how can we g- 
give somebody or create something interesting, beautiful, useful for a, a local adventure, which could be an hour from their home, which allows them to get out into the wilderness, out into wild spaces um, and have fun with. So that's some, those are some sort of secret projects we've been working on from the beginning of 2020, which we're working on now. Like my, because we're all working from home at the moment, my garden is full of, look like, I don't know what the neighbors think, there's prototypes hanging from the trees just because we're <laughs> testing all the materials from the water. It was amazing that it snowed last week. We got to like, test stuff in snow for the first time. Great. So we're, we're trying to do as much, you know, when life gives you lemons, you try and make limoncello or whatever. So we're trying <laughs> to do as much as we can with um, testing stuff, even though we can't travel. Mm. So as soon as restrictions are lifted, then we can really get out and, and start putting things to its paces. So there's a lot of new designs coming out for next uh, this year, hopefully this summer. Um, we always... Because the heart of Malay is what we make. You know, it starts from that pannier. Malay means trunk. We make objects and adventure accessories. We're, we're continuing just to push the boundaries of what we can make for our for our clients and customers and our community. And we get lots of suggestions. People are, you know, people calling us up a lot of the times talk about adventures and stuff and we ask them where they're going, what do they need? And when Henry Crew did his first, and he broke the world record for the circumnavigation of the globe, like we'd kitted him out with a fair bit of kit, but then when he came back, we had so many questions about what we could, what else did he need, and what was lacking, and what was missing, and um, and so we've been we've been reaching out to a lot of explorers and adventurers um, this year and end of last year, asking them questions about where they're going and what they need, and um, I think for next year. We, we're always pushing the experiential side of it. I mean, Johnny and I, we, we like hosting things for the community. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully, you know, next year with 2022, with more restrictions, that we hope that there'll be more opportunities for more adventures on the rallying side, more expeditions. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think the next two, two years will be a lot more time in the workshop as well. There's always a yeah, huge amount of time just in the workshop making. Yeah. That's awesome. good. It seems exciting. It seems like do. the future is very bright, which is really good to see. And I'm so excited. Hopefully the rally and the mile do go ahead this year because they're already in my calendar. Like I, I'm in my head, I'm yeah, going. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm so, so excited. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed for those. So um, yeah, thank you, Robert, so much for spending the time to chat with us today. Um, yeah, just if people want to find you, is it malilondon.com? That best place yeah, or Instagram? Yeah, Everything for... Um, all the sort of the kit and products and some interesting things. There's lots of stories in the Malay Journal from awesome. also from ambassadors of ours and to inspire. Um, yeah, and of course on on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. And, and phone calls. People like they like calling us up and just talking about adventures. <laughs> so we're always on the phone as well. So most of your day spent just um, meant to be designing, but really just sat on the phone, just <laughs> chatting and and hearing these amazing <laughs> stories of adventures. And yeah, what you're sat in your living room looking outside of, uh, over Greenwich. But brilliant. Thank but you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat to you guys. It's been a real pleasure. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hello, it's me, John Markar here. I thought I would just jump in on the end of this week's podcast recording. Our thanks again to Robert Nightingale of Malay London for being part of this week's chat. The reason for me jumping in at the end of this week's episode is just a little polite reminder and maybe a little request, as you are probably well aware, with the world of 
social media algorithms and supercomputers that control the way media is spread and shared. A positive, lovely little short review on what we do will help us absolutely no end. I am aware that already, despite the fact that we've been doing this six or seven months, we have tens of thousands of regular listeners, which is just incredible. It's mind-blowing, and we are so, so grateful for every single one of you that's listening. If you do have the time, the means, and the ability to leave us a short review, it really does help us, especially if you've got nice things to say. We have to ask for this sort of thing. It is the way of the world at the moment. But equally, beyond just asking for nice reviews remember this as we've said from the beginning this podcast is as much about you the listener as it is about us we want you to be as much of a part of this journey as we want to be hosting it and presenting it if there is a particular guest that you think would be fantastic for the driven chat podcast we would love you to send us a message whether that's through one of the main feeds or commenting or 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 messaging one of us individually please do feel free to do it because we read absolutely every comment and message that we get. So there's a particular guest or perhaps a subject, a talking topic that you would like us to cover. Don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to message. We would love to see it. We are not asking for any kind of financial Patreon subscriptions or anything like that. You know, we are committed to bringing you this content for free. So if you are able to help us out, by leaving a quick review be eternally grateful for it thank you so much for listening thank you so much for being part of this journey can you believe it we are now up to 35 episodes of this podcast and i can't wait to see what the future brings i know for a fact we have got some amazing guests lined up for you in the next few weeks we look forward to bringing you more of the same this time next week bye-bye Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.